Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Molly Rands. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We are very pleased to have John Simic join us today as our podcast guest. John is Vice President of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics managed information technology and cybersecurity company. John has authored 18 books and written hundreds of articles over the last 20 plus years and has a lengthy list of certifications to his name. Sensei Enterprises offers its services nationwide, and yes, those services do include backups. And with that, John, could you share some additional information about yourself with our listeners? You mentioned all the certifications, Joanne. I'm not going to go into a lot of those. I've been doing this technology stuff for a lot of years, more decades, and I, I, I really don't want the audience to hear about. But yeah, I've, I've been doing this from mainframes to mini computers to personal computers to, you know, I practice in forensics as well, the cybersecurity world. The one certification that a lot of people seem to get pretty excited about, I guess they think it's sexy, is the Certified Ethical Hacker. Because it does sound kind of cool, but but that's really where my where I'm I'm concentrating these days is uh, the forensic side and the cyber side. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, John. Can you help our listeners understand why it's important for lawyers to back up their computer systems? To most of us, it, it would sound pretty obvious. We spend a lot of time right working on creating content and having information. And we're using technology, we're using computers, we're using you know, smartphones, tablets, whatever it is. And those are all physical devices. They don't last forever. They fail. Hard drives die, you know, storage media, all of that stuff. So at the end of the day, it's really important that we're backing up our data, that we have our data at least preserved, not only to handle failures of equipment, but also for disasters, you know, whether there's a flood or a fire or, or something to that extent. You know, the poor folks down there you know, in Louisiana are very familiar with, with floods, you know, et cetera. The, the folks in the Midwest, you know, with the natural disasters, you know, tornadoes, et cetera, you know, there. So our backups are going to help us preserve all the information and to recover, to keep our businesses, keep our law firms going. But in addition... We're all human beings as well, and we make mistakes. I know we do. We support, you know, hundreds of of clients in in the D.C. metro area locally. The vast majority of them are are lawyers, but people make mistakes. They mistakenly delete something, or they make a change to a document and save it, and they didn't have a prior version, and they want to go back. So those are all kind of reasons as to why backups would be important so that you can recover from those kinds of human mistakes, and then also recover from any any disasters, you know, including equipment failures. So, John, we've all heard that there are different types of backups, such as full backups, incremental, and even more. Can you explain these different types and when they should be used? I think, Joanne, back years and years ago, that was always the big thing, right? Full, incremental, differentials. Those are the, the main classifications of the backups. But a lot of things have changed, you know, since then. Full backup is just as the name sounds. It's backing up everything, you know, whatever your target environment is that you want to back up. An incremental backup is a backup that's backing up information that has changed since the last backup. And that that could include even, you know, new material that was created. And then a differential 
is a backup that backs up information since the last full backup, any changes that have occurred since the last full backup. And as you can imagine, each of these different types of backups, they vary in time and in size. You know, full backup taking the largest amount of time and the largest, you know, volume because it's all the information. Differential backups are large as well, but they're not as big as a full backup, but they capture more of the data. And and the reason you would want to use a differential backup, frankly, is if you want to recover quickly, rather quickly. If you had a catastrophic failure, you would restore from your last full backup, which would get all of you know, the, the bulk of the data. And then you would apply the last differential that you had because remember, those are just the changes that occurred since the last full backup. So you're really only talking about two backups to restore from. If you did incremental backups, incrementals are much smaller and much faster to occur as you're backing them up, but it's going to take you a heck of a lot longer to restore to get you back to the same state because you would apply the full, and then you'd have to apply every single incremental since that full in order to get you to that state. So those are the three general types of backups. And really the consideration would be for the length of time for backing it up as well as, you know, recovery, that restoring process. Having said that, technologies have changed a little bit and they're, they're actually more, they don't really use a lot of those terms anymore. They do and they don't. But as we get into more of hardware appliances that are specifically designed to do backups, they're taking care of all that information to stream and keep you as current as possible with where your data is. So the recovery time is much, much faster, very fast. The backup time is very fast as well. John, how many backups should a law firm have in place? And does this apply to all firms regardless of their size? I'd have to maybe clarify when when you say how many backups, is that backup sets? So as an example, if you said, I want to backup on Monday, is all of that data then considered a backup? And then the question then becomes, how many do you retain, right, as you move along? The, the short answer certainly would be as much as you can, right? That's because <laughs> you're really at the point where you want to restore back. You would say, oh, wait a minute, you know, do I want to go back a month? Do I only need to go back a week? Am I looking at six months? If you're doing a rotational backup and you're overriding, let's say, the backup data on a weekly basis, then if you wanted to go back to data that existed a month ago, it wouldn't be there, right? It wouldn't be in that state anyway. Let's put it that way. Unless you had snapshotted it back a month ago. To answer your question, (laughs) it depends on how much data you want to preserve and for how long and how far back you think you may have to go in order to restore some information that, that might have been different, you know, back six months ago, a year ago, whatever, to carry on with that. I don't think it matters the size of a firm. It's really a consideration for the type of data and the length of the data as to how long you want to keep it, if you will. So, John, what are the available options for performing a backup? Wow. <laughs> there, there's a ton. There's a ton, showing. A lot, right? Uh, there's a lot. I, I mentioned, you know, the, the newer types today are, we're implementing a lot of hardware-specific, you know, backup appliances because of speed and other features, you know, et cetera, like that. But the simplest thing, you can do things online where you're using a cloud-based, you know, environment 
uh, and that's very popular. You also have, you know, the hardware appliance pieces that I talked about, which are really very specialized pieces of hardware. They tend to be a little more expensive, though, to implement. You can use external hard drives. A standard USB hard drive is, is fine. Flash drives, that type of thing, can be used. Disk space, uh, NAS units, the network-attached storage, those can be used as well. So these are all things, at least we see very commonly used today anyway, you know, for backup solutions. The solo small market, frankly, Joanna, I think is uniquely positioned where they use a lot of USB, external USB drives, and that's totally fine to do those, to use those. They're relatively inexpensive. They could be handled, you know, right there within a law firm themselves. Geez, today, you know, I think I just saw an external USB hard drive that's like four terabytes or eight terabytes or something. It's crazy, you know, huge, the amount of volume these guys can, can store now. But that's a very, very good alternative, you know, for that solo small market. John, can you mention some criteria a lawyer should consider when choosing a cloud-based backup system? Molly's like any kind of, when you're talking about the cloud as well, is anything that dealing with the cloud, you're going to have the same considerations. I think one of the most important things to me anyway would be, what is their experience with, you know, with legal entities? Are they familiar with what the ethical duties are, you know, for lawyers? and the confidentiality and protection of that data, et cetera. You know, because that's a little different than a lot of other businesses that they might be dealing with. You know, how is that cloud provider structured? Do they have shared hardware, which is, in other words, shared among multiple clients? And is there potentially the possibility that your data might be intermixed with someone else? And the concern there is the security concern, right? That confidentiality is you don't want somebody else that you have no clue about potentially, you know, accessing your backup data. What kind of, you know, uptime services have they experienced? I know lawyers don't like this, but, you know, you got to read the terms of service <laughs> and understand exactly what they're going to do, what they're going to provide, what are those liabilities, where is that the responsibility for, you know, what if they have a data breach? What are they going to do? Uh, how much money are they going to give you back, if anything? What are their encryption methods? Because that, again, is very, very important, I think, for everyone, but specifically for, for lawyers. How do they implement encryption? Do they have multi-factor authentication, you know, available? How are they protecting that data, I guess is one way I want to say. Because you are entrusting that cloud provider with your information. If you don't think that they're doing, or at least they have mechanisms, let's say, to protect that information, then you want to take steps before you give the data to them. So, you know, I'll, I'll use a very simple example. Let's say you're using Dropbox, you know, as, your, as a cloud provider to store the backup data. They're not very good, if you will, at, at dealing with encryption, at least protecting that. So you, the user, should encrypt that data first on your own before you hand it off to those cloud providers. It's those kinds of considerations that, that certainly you want to think about when we're talking about cloud. Such excellent and useful information. Thank you so much. Sure. We are now going to take a short break from our conversation to thank our sponsors. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. 
Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. Welcome back. We're thrilled to be here today with John Simic as he talks about the how-tos and importance of backups in your law firm. So, John, you mentioned USBs and you touched upon some devices that lawyers can use in their practices for local backups. Can we delve into that a little bit further? Do you have any specific recommendations on what to use or even what not to use for those local backups? Sure, Joanne. The local stuff, as I mentioned, you know, USB hard drives are, are a really good alternative, depending on the amount of volume that you might be dealing with. You might be looking at a, a network-attached storage device, a NAS, which basically is a, you know, a much, much larger, if you will, device where you just stick a bunch of hard drives in this cage to back up, or those hardware appliances that I, that I mentioned you know, in the first segment. What I would not use or what I would not recommend today certainly is any sort of optical disc, you know, the CD, DVD, you know, kind of thing, or tape. Now, I get that folks would, they still would want to do that because it's relatively, they're cheap, if you will, but they're not very high capacity and they're slower than beans <laughs> and not very reliable. So I would stay away from those. The good news, and I'll throw a couple of stats out at you, um, which are from the, the very recent released 2022 ABA Legal Technology Survey where they surveyed all the lawyers. I know you folks are familiar with that survey, but they specifically asked about backup. And the percentages for CD and tape media being used for backup is, is very low. It's in the single digits, which is good. I'd, I'd like to see that. And most folks are using external hard drives or online services. It's consistent with at least what we're seeing in our, you know, the clients that we service. But I'm glad to see at least that, that legal technology service, you know, supports that too. So I think the pandemic has really transitioned many law firms to having remote workers or even a hybrid setup where some folks are part-time in the building and part-time working remotely. John, do you see this posing any specific backup challenges? I guess the great answer depends. <laughs> I think if your data and your architecture is engineered correctly, the answer would be no, because you shouldn't be storing anything locally on your machines. The firm's data and the data that you need to run your practice should be held in some common area that everyone who has the right authority can gain access to that data. And therefore, it's in one place where you can also make it very easy to back it up. So if you have that, then it really doesn't matter where the user is located, you know, whether they're working from home, whether they're in the office, et cetera, because they're accessing the data and maybe the data is in the cloud. And that's being backed up. Or maybe the data is on a file server in your office, but yet the user is working from home. I don't think it matters, you know, in that regard. Where it would matter is if your data is not centrally managed that way. In other words, it's in a bunch of different places. <laughs> then it would make a difference because, boy, what a headache that would be if you had to reach, quote, reach out and back up, you know, people's home machines because they were working on law firm information. So, John, do you believe it's important to conduct test restores? And if so, can you explain why and exactly what they are? <laughs> oh, absolutely, Joanne. I'm behind them 100%. 
what a test restore is, is you're backing up, you know, in a normal fashion. You get these log files and they say, hey, you know, everybody's hunky-dory. But then when an emergency comes up or you go to try to restore that information back, you know, let's say uh, some document that you were working on a week earlier, and then you find out that, gee, it's corrupted or it's no good. Well, you would never know that unless you did some test restores. Test restoring means that on a periodic basis, you're actually doing the mechanics for restoring information back to your environment that you have previously backed up. It really does two things, in my opinion, for you. One is certainly to verify that the information you're backing up is in fact good and that you could use it if you had to restore it. That's one reason. But another reason is it gives people the opportunity to actually practice. What are the steps to restore? Because you know, we're talking data now, or at least typically when people talk about backup, they're talking about files, but you should also be backing up your email, right? The majority of, of law firms, at least that we service and that we run across, they're Microsoft 365 users. So they're using email, contacts, all this other stuff, maybe even SharePoint in the cloud. And that needs to be backed up as well. What if you need to restore back? You know, some contact information, calendar entries, email messages, an email folder, you know, about a matter that you had in your inbox that you filed away. That process to restore that is different, potentially different than restoring, you know, a, a Word document for a contract that you developed, uh, you know, two months ago. It affords you the opportunity to practice that, that restoration process so that at least you know what to do. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, if you're in, you're in a firm and you're the associate and the, the partner says that, hey, I need this now, and you have no clue how to restore it back, that wouldn't go well, I'm sure. <laughs> John, we've all heard horror stories of lost flash drives. I know I lost a flash drive a number of years ago when my toddler (laughs) took it and put it somewhere. And then we ended up finding it years later at the bottom of a toy box. So I learned my lesson, but do you have any recommendations for securing your backups? Uh, Don't give them to your toddler. No, I'm (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. (laughs) Yes, it's your backups should be encrypted. And that means locally as well as if they go off-site, you know, if you're using cloud services, et cetera. Because as I said earlier, one of the concerns is, you know, who has access to that data? And if you're using a flash drive and you've encrypted that backup onto that flash drive and then your toddler puts it in the toy box or or you drop it in the parking lot, you know, you, you pull it out of your pocket and you don't notice it fell out, whatever. You're not really concerned because you know that data is encrypted. And people aren't going to be able to access that, that information, that encrypted data. So you can feel pretty safe about that. But if you're not, if you don't do that, then people can access it. I mean, I'm sure you've read about stories or people buy hard drives on eBay or, or they go to the dump and, you know, the electronics recycle place and they, they grab flash drives and hard disks and they grab all this unencrypted data off of it. You know, whether it's from an ATM machine or some law firm's file server, as an example. So for those same reasons, you want to make sure that that data is, in fact, protected. And then then that's going to allow you to sleep a lot better, right? If you do, in fact, misplace or find out that, oh, geez, where did that flash drive go? So, John, just talking about encryption and just a little bit more about securing backups, I'm hearing two different things or thinking about two different things here. And 
One of the things is protecting that flash drive. So in case there's a flood or a fire or a theft in the office, you hear about that all the time, or I do anyway. <laughs> you know, I have people coming in and swiping that flash drive. So the big thing too, isn't it important for people to put that behind a very secure lock and key? And also, you mentioned encryption. Even once they get that, them being able to access the information, I think it's potentially possible that some of our listeners might not totally understand what is meant by encryption. So can you expound upon all of that a little bit? Let's start with encryption. Encryption basically is, is taking information, readable information, and making it unreadable, scrambling it up, applying software to it, an algorithm to it. You know, think of it like a, a big jigsaw puzzle, right? You throw everything in a box and you shake it all up. And when you first take it out, you can't Figure it out. Now, unlike a jigsaw puzzle, which, you know, actually, if you work at it long enough, you can put it together and figure out what it is. <laughs> Good encryption, you can't do that. Without the decryption key, the data is not usable to anybody. And you need that key to decrypt it. So that's what's going to protect it, you know. And, and when we're talking encryption, we can talk about encryption and, you know, in, in email and email transmissions and file storage and all that. So it's, it's really just a matter of protecting access to that information, effectively scrambling it up, right, so, so nobody can, can read it without giving the right decryption key. That's the big protection thing. Physical security, yes, you should be securing that as well. You know, one of the things that I certainly would like to see folks doing the way we engineer, and you might have heard this, you know, Joanne, the, the three two one concept of that your data should be at least in three places, you know, two of which are local and one of which is remote. And what that means from a design perspective is that, you know, let's make it simple. and We'll just talk about a laptop, right? Information that's on a drive, and that's the only place that we have it. So we have the local drive of our laptop, and then we want to back that stuff up. So we have an external hard drive that we back up that information. So we have two copies of it, you know, locally. And then we have a third copy you know, so there's that two local and then the one remote. Let's say we use a, you know, a cloud provider, you know, such as, you know, Carbonite or Mosey or Backblaze or, you know, one of those services. So now we've got the data offsite as well. And we want to do that for a lot of different reasons. At least today, one of the most common the reasons we want to do that is, is to try to help us recover from a ransomware attack. Ransomware has just gone off, off the charts, you know, as far as the attacks go especially now during the holidays, it's even, you know, greater targets. People are greater targets for that. So if we encrypt that information in order to protect, you know, access so that whoever's coming in might not be able to, to get to it, but we want to have that copy on that USB drive and then certainly disconnect it. So that's a big, you know, that's a practice tip. Just because you're backing up to a USB hard disk, don't leave it plugged into your machine. So run your backup and then disconnect it so that if you are unfortunate enough to be attacked with ransomware, it won't attack your backup, right? Your external hard drive. You could restore back from that. But also, you know, up in the cloud. So if you're using a cloud provider, you know, as well, if something, God forbid, did happen, you know, physically to all of your hardware, et cetera, at least you've got that remote copy, right? That's up there in the cloud that you can restore back from. So those are all, you know, from a security perspective, 
um, how you want to try to protect that information. You know, as I said earlier, Joanne, you know, the lawyers certainly have an ethical obligation to to maintain the confidentiality of their client's data. And that's one of the ways that you do that is through encryption and protecting it. Great information. So, John, in closing, do you have any general thoughts on the pros and cons of what I call do-it-yourself versus hiring professional IT support? You know, generally, I think it really depends on your technical competence. We could spend a whole afternoon, right, talking about technical competence for lawyers, <laughs> but we're not going to go there. So it really depends on how much you as a lawyer and how comfortable you are and, and, you know, considering all those things that I've already, you know, mentioned, you know, the protection of the data, the, you know, how fast can you back up? How often do you want to back up? You know, are you streaming? Are you taking a snapshot every 15 minutes? Are you Are you backing up once a day? So, you know, what is your exposure point? All those types of design things, you know, if you feel comfortable in, in doing all those and, you know, assessing, you know, the hardware that might be required and particular software, then I think there's nothing wrong with you doing that. My experience has been, as I said, we deal with a, a lot of law firms, hundreds of them, is that for most lawyers, they don't have that kind of technical competence. They don't understand they don't know the right way to address, if you will, some of those issues, you know, backing up that data for their practice. So I think it's generally what you're going to find is that they're going to use or get someone to help them, you know, an IT professional, as you say, to at least do the initial configuration, the recommendation, the requirements gathering. When I have these conversations with lawyers, I enter it by saying, what is your threshold for pain? How long can you be down before it really hurts? <laughs> and depending on what that answer is, that changes how you engineer that backup. And frankly, it impacts the cost. Because if your threshold for pain, if you come back to me and say, you know, I can't be down any more than 30 minutes. Well, wow. You know, now I've got to have a system that is very, very robust to be able to make sure that should something occur, something happen that's really bad, I got to get you back in business in 30 minutes. That could be pretty expensive. But if you come back and tell me your threshold for pain is, you know, I could probably survive a day. Well, boy, that changes your alternatives. But having that kind of knowledge, you know, and, and putting those solutions together, I think is more, you're going to find more, more of your, your IT professional folks being able to do that. Now, once they do that and they put that solution together for you, there's nothing to say that you and your law firm can't, quote, operate it, right, or monitor the logs or do things or even restore your information and take care of the normal operation of it. But I think generally, to get started, though, most lawyers and law firms they're going to need some help to put it together. And then they could probably run it themselves. Wonderful. This has been great information, John. So with that, it does look like we have come to the end of our show. Molly and I would like to thank our guest today, John Simic, for a wonderful program. John, if our listeners would like to follow up with you, what is the best way to reach you? Two ways. I'm very connected. Email is probably the best. That's J Simic, S I M as in Mary E K, at Sensei E N T, that's S E N S E I E N T dot com. Or you can just, you know, call the office. That's the main number, 703 359 0700. Thank you so much. 
This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Molly Rands. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.